talking about the, the promises of God and uh, how there's so many times when I have an ear infection so I, I felt something but I didn't hear anything. Um, I really do have, I've been fighting one this week so no matter how loud or soft I talk it sounds like I'm screaming in my head. So if I, uh, if I actually start screaming then just Give me a sign or something. I'll tone it down. Um, we've been talking about the promises of God, you know, and there's a, there's so many times when when we we feel like God is is leading us in a direction or whatever, and um, some sometimes we make the mistake of of labeling His leadership uh, a promise. Then He's promised me, you know, whatever, and. So we begin to build our lives on these, these things, saying that it's a promise and knowing that God is faithful and he keeps every promise. And so God promised me that this would happen uh, in my life. And then so we build everything around it. And sometimes those things happen. Sometimes they don't. And then when they don't, we've invested so much spiritually and emotionally and physically into this thing and a lot of times it leads to pain, it leads to a lot of confusion or whatever. And so I'm kind of at a point where I don't, I don't think that we can build our lives on any promise that is not explicitly laid out in God's Word for us. Like if you want to never, ever run the risk of building on the wrong promise, always build on ones that come from His Word. And don't, you know, don't take His leadership in your life and try to make it a promise you know, and maybe you, you might say, oh, it's just semantics. But sometimes semantics become, like, really, really big issues for us. So the last couple of weeks, we've just been looking at promises from God's Word that He made us and, and how those things, when we build our lives on those things, it reframes everything else. So tonight we're going to be in John 14. And um, we're just going to look at the first three verses. And uh, I think I can do it without the glasses, I think. Um, at these three verses, uh, if you look, verse 13, um, I'm sorry, chapter 13. This is the, at the Last Supper. Jesus washes the feet of the disciples. They're all really confused. They don't really know what to think of that. Keep going. He tells them that one of the 12 is going to betray him. So that kind of rocks their world a little bit to look around. And here's their their crew that's been together for like three years everywhere Jesus has gone they've been with him and Jesus tells him one of you guys is going to stab me in the back basically so that kind of gets him rattled and um, then he uh, you know Peter's like there's no way it's ever going to happen and Jesus says no actually you're going to deny me three times so that gets him a little bit rattled and so they're just a weird sequence of events so chapter 14 begins very appropriately considering what the disciples and Jesus have been through in the in the previous moments together and how they probably were just not real sure what in the world was going on. And so let's look at these three verses. 
says, let not your hearts be troubled. This is verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. Usually you, you hear those words read, funerals. And, uh, and very appropriately so. Um, those are maybe the only comforting words that, that can be read sometimes at, at, you know, in certain situations. Um, the thing is that when Jesus spoke these words and uh, the, the actual like, way he worded it, if you, were, um, if you had grown up in the Galilee region, um, there are certain things that would have popped into your mind just from growing up there. Um, if, uh, if you're from Central and you are my age and I were to say, dude, I'm about to take you to the pits. Um, see, that's what would happen. Um, if you are not from there, uh, you would have no idea what that means and why that is ridiculous that I would want to take you to the pits. Uh, that's where people went to fight after school. And, um, and so that's what it was. Dude, I'll meet you at the pits after school. That's what everybody said. And so just by saying that, Drew laughs out loud. Jake Rush, if he's here, he probably laughed too. Um, but so there's just sometimes, and that's a stupid example, but sometimes we can just say things that bring up like certain connotations and cultural things that, um, that you don't really have to explain. So we, not being first century Jewish Galilean um, residents, would not necessarily read this and have the same, the same things come into our minds that they did. Okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to try as best we can whatever research I was able to do, to understand that when Jesus spoke these things in this way, what would have registered in their minds, okay? And the language and the things that he used had to do with weddings and the wedding customs at the time. Um, see, when I read that, I think funeral. I don't think wedding. But when they heard it, they would have thought wedding, and this is why. Um, and, and we're going to walk through this in just a minute. So basically, I'm going to make three points in three verses about um, what what our lives should look like in view of this promise, okay? The, so tonight we're going to think about it as the promise of a groom to a bride. Church is often described as the bride of Christ. Uh, we talk about it at weddings, about a husband loving a wife like Christ loved the church. And um, all throughout the New Testament, that is a very consistent um, image that God uses. We are the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. So if this is the promise of a groom, Tonight would be a little bit of like, okay, so what? So how should we live? How do you stand on this promise, the promise of a groom to a bride? Um, here, here we go. We're just going to jump into it. Look at verse 1 again. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Another way that you could translate let your, not your hearts be troubled, um, some would just say it means stop being troubled. Just stop Stop being troubled. Um, another one would be set your hearts at ease. All right? There's, Jesus is telling these disciples after what they've been through, he's kind of telling them, all right, get a grip. That's kind of, that's kind of weird for us sometimes because we live in a, a, in a day and age where our emotions and our feelings are everything. You know, people say, go with your gut. and What are you feeling? And, you have no right to tell me that I shouldn't be hurt by that. And we just, there's all this, you know, whatever. 
Here's Jesus telling his disciples, guys, get a grip on your hearts. Someone's saying, I know you just heard some like, kind of troubling things um, about, you know, one of you's going to betray me. And Peter, used, he called Peter out in front of everybody, and he just washed their feet, and he's talking about leaving and stuff. Um, he's like, guys, get, get a grip. Set your hearts at ease. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Now, the thing about this verse, okay, is um, this is about confidence. I'll get into some of the wedding stuff in, in, a, in a second. But have you ever noticed the, the shift in confidence when, uh, and I'm going to pick on the girls because why not, um, when a girl has been dating a guy for a while and then he proposes, big difference from then on, isn't it? A little bit like, that's right. There's no more like, oh, what if he's not the one, and maybe he's not going to ask me. Because once that ring goes on that finger, there's just, and I don't mean it in an arrogant way, there's just, there's a confidence that is there, isn't there? I've seen it over and over and over and over. And I don't, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm saying that is a beautiful thing. To watch that security and that confidence and, and everything just, just settle in. And that's what Jesus is telling them. Say, look, get a grip on your hearts. You just got rattled by life, by circumstances, by what's going on. That's fine. Set your hearts at ease. Do not let your heart be troubled. Trust me, is what he's saying. And so as a, if, if Jesus is the groom and the church, you and I, if we're the brides, okay, I know the guys might not really like thinking of themselves as brides, but whatever, just go with it. Um, if that's the, the commitment that's been made, like a groom being engaged to a bride, you and I have got to live and build our lives with that kind of confidence. That, that life is going to happen. Things are going to get bad. Um, their circumstances are going to just go crazy. We're going to have questions. We're going to have fears. We're going to have anxieties. We're going to have all this stuff. Jesus is saying, you, better, you need to get a grip. And you just need to trust me. Because you... You are engaged. You have been promised. Here's what, what would happen. Um, when uh, when a, a guy would, would want to marry a girl, all their marriages were arranged. And so um, he would go home and he would tell his dad, Hey, Dad, I was uh, at the Olive Press today. There's a girl there, and I, I want to marry her. That's, that's bottom line. Um, some of you college guys... Walk to class every day, and you see eight people you want to marry. You probably understand what that's like. And so, um, but back then, you could just go home and tell your dad, hey, I found her. I don't know her name. She's about this tall, or whatever. Um, and so, uh, the guy and his dad would set up a meeting with the girl and her dad. They would all sit down. And um, the, to, to lose a daughter uh, was very costly because everybody worked. Uh, the entire family, everybody pulled their own weight. And so when you were, you were losing a member of the team, okay, and so um, basically the, the father of the bride would lay out a price. Say, all right, if you want to take her from me, not only like the, all the emotional, all the fatherly stuff, but even just the, how it's going to affect our family, you know, functioning, um, this is what it's going to cost. 
And so they would negotiate a price for this girl, which might seem a little weird, but back then, that's, that's, how, that's how it worked. And so um, they would, the, the dads would go back and forth, and they would, would come down, and finally, like there would be an amount, whether it was money or cattle or however they did it. And so whenever that was agreed on, the, the groom would then pour a glass of wine, and he would, would hand it to the girl. And if the girl, if she drank from the cup, that meant that she accepted his proposal. So the guy was, was basically, when he handed her the cup, he was saying, I am willing to pay this price for you. And she would drink it, and she says, I will enter into this covenant, into this agreement. And so from that point on, she was known as one who was bought with a price. She was, we would call it engaged. She was spoken for. She was taken. Now, side note, there's a whole lot of commonality there between wedding customs and the Last Supper, isn't there? He just pours the wine, hands them the cup, they drink from it. He's saying, I'm willing to pay this price for you. They're saying we're willing to enter into this covenant. Crazy, okay? Um, the, anyway, um, so they had just done all this with them, and then he goes into... Uh, this wedding deal is pretty cool, um, and so that's what that's what would happen. And so for you and I, I mean, think about it. Every time we take communion, we're we're reliving, reenacting, reconnecting, however you want to look at it, to that that engagement time, that proposal that was offered. And so if the bride left that meeting. Just like some of you have left those, you know, perfectly romantic marriage proposal times, that ring on your finger, the bride left with that confidence of, like, that's right. I have been bought with a price. I am spoken for. When we stand on this promise that he is our groom and we are the bride, we live this verse out. Our hearts, we do not let them be troubled. We set them at ease. We get a grip on our emotions. There's a chance that one of our community group topics this summer is going to deal with that. How do, you, how do you do that in a practical sense? You're overrun by fear or by anxiety or by whatever. Like, how do you, how do you, these emotions seem so powerful. How do we, in a practical sense, get a grip on those? So maybe this summer, maybe there will, that will be a helpful thing. We walk this verse out. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. It's all about trust. Here's the thing. A bride cannot be confident because she has now been bought with a price. Someone who gets engaged, a young lady should not walk away from that being like, I'm so totally secure now because I'm engaged. No. See, a bride would leave that meeting in the first century Galilee confident in the groom. There's a big difference. So when you and I live and we want to stand on this promise and we want to not let our hearts be troubled and we want to believe and trust in God, it's not because we're like, oh, well, I got a place in heaven when it's over with, so good, I just feel better about that. No, 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 no. it has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with him with his character, who he is. 
Because you want to talk about marrying up. That's the first thing. How do we live in view of, of the promise of a groom? Is the confidence of a bride. Okay, second thing, look at, look at verse 2. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Here's what would have, have come into their minds. Um, so, they, so they leave that, that meeting. They, they drink the wine. The engagement is officially on. She then goes immediately back to her parents' house, and she waits for him. Now, he goes, and uh, with, where, the way that it worked, um, they lived in, uh, like when I was in Israel, we got to, to see uh, the, the town of Chorazin, which is um, in, on the north end of Galilee or whatever. We got to walk around this, this community. The way they would set up were in these groups of homes called, it's called an insula, and um, you would have like a, like, a, like a courtyard area that would maybe, maybe say as big as this middle section. And then all around the outside, there were, uh, were all the, the houses. Okay? The house was just kind of like a room, basically. So you just have like, like, a, like a room, 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 kind of working its way around that way or whatever. And so this is where uh, like entire families live together. And so you're, you're, maybe you, you, if you were not married, uh, you would, and your parents and whoever would live in one, and then your grandparents would maybe be in one if you had aunts and uncles and cousins and your whole family was built around this courtyard and you lived in this common area and had a big wall around it kind of deal. So they had like several of those scattered around and that's, that's how they did everything. And they, they shared all their food. They pooled all their resources. Um, they um, all had kind of the same trade. And so there was just, there was, this was like the real deal, legitimate community um, kind of thing. And so, um, this, this is where the, where the groom would, uh, he would, would leave, and he would go, and they would have the, the, uh, the engagement. She would go back to her insula, okay? He would go back to his insula. And what he would do, he would, would then begin to uh, add on another block to the, to the community around the outside of the courtyard, okay? So he is building another room onto the, con- the connecting rooms. So when Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms, or not so, what I've told you, that I go to prepare a place for you. When they left that engagement meeting, the groom would say, I'm going to prepare a place for you. So he would go back and he would begin to build on that room. So that phrase intentionally, like that's where their mind would go. Okay? So uh, he goes back and he begins to add on another block onto the house. And this may, this may take three months, it may take six months, it may take a year, it just kind of just depends on, on a number of things. So the bride then, she goes back to her house, and she waits for him. I've heard that, you know, heard that before, and I always think, like, man, that's a bummer of a three months or a six months, you just never know. And, and, and they were, were always, you know, always want to be prepared and ready, but, I mean, it's be kind of boring. And more I looked into it, this is what I found out, that... When she gets back to her um, home, she immediately begins being mentored in homemaking, cooking, whatever, by the, by the women of her insula. And here's why, okay? Um, see how I, how I can put this delicately. There are certain um, rites of passage that we all go through from being like preteens into teenage years and stuff like that. And um, for a female... Female, there are different rites of passage than with males, right? The first time 
a female goes through this one particular rite of passage. What she had happens the first time, she is then eligible to be married. It's a little young to be a wife, okay? So here is this like preteen, maybe like, like 12, 13, 14 years old, this girl who's grown up functioning in a certain way within her household, and all of a sudden, she goes to this meeting, she drinks from this cup, she's engaged, and this guy is going to show up at any moment. So the women around who, they basically say, okay, we've been teaching you how to function within our house, now we're going to get you ready to be a wife. And whatever that looks like in first century Galilee, that's what they did. So she spent that time not just waiting, but preparing. Because she now had a mission ahead of her that she had not been equipped for up until this point. And so that time was not spent being idle. She didn't sit around and wait. She wasn't like, oh, well, I mean, I'm going to be married, and so I'll just, you know, see what that's like. And she'd hurry up. No, she was preparing. She was trying to learn, learn from, from her mom and learn from her aunts and from her grandmas and do, like, like really, like, help me out. She was about to leave them and go be a part of this whole other insula that may function differently or maybe just the same. She was not prepared for that yet, so they were going to get her ready. Now, the connection to us, here's Jesus saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Well, what does the bride do? She is now on a new mission in life. And so when we are building on this promise that he is our groom, we are the bride, we, we have something to do. There's, there's so, many, so many Christians who, um, at some point in their life, uh, heard the gospel, responded to the gospel, okay? That we are sinners separated from God. Jesus came, and he is this, he, to forgive our sins, rejoin us to the Father, new life, make all things new, and, and people have repeated the prayer, or somehow they have, they've gotten to that point, and they were saved, okay? But then, from that point until death, they're almost like a bride who just goes and just like sits on her mat in the room, just kind of wait. Instead of a bride who's like, I've, I gotta, I gotta learn some stuff. I've gotta mature, I've gotta grow up. I've got to learn from my community. I'm now on a mission. See, we can't sit back. We, we, can't be that, we can't be that kind of bride. So what, I mean, just in a real frank way, I mean, think about it. What, what are you doing with your life between now and eternity? There's got to be, like, that's, last week we talked about living missionally and how, like, we are, are here to, to be witnesses for Christ and, and to tell people that this is who Jesus is and this is what he's done and everything he said is true because he's changed my life and we're here to give a testimony just like in courtroom. That's what Jesus, that's the mission, to represent him everywhere we go. And so we're on this mission and we're living life and we're doing all this stuff. We're also in community where we're learning how to deny ourselves take up our cross daily and follow him. We're learning how to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and, and learning how to love our neighbors as ourselves. And, and we do that with one another and we learn from one another and we share things and we struggle together. And So there's, this, there's all this stuff that's going on. We are just like that bride 
goes back and says, all right, I need, I need some help. I need to mature. I need to prepare. Help me. That help comes from the Lord. That help comes from, comes from one another. We would, be, we would miss it completely if we just said, you know what, I'm going to heaven and all that's fine and I'm just going to have fun on earth and make as much money as I can and try to, you know, leave a little better than I found it and, you know, whatever. Missing it completely. Missing it completely. Intentionally focusing on what's going on now. Huge. Talking with a, with a friend... Uh, we're actually emailing about like this whole deal with promises and and how we stand on the wrong ones and all that kind of stuff. And he was pointing out how so much of it comes down to focus, but how sometimes we're so focused on this promise that we believe God's made us that's like down the road somewhere that we squander all our our time in between now and then. We pass up relationships and we we bulldoze over people and we miss some opportunities. And so we're not maturing, we're not growing, we're not sharing. We're just so focused down the road. Like a bride who's just looking at that wedding day, being like, that's the day, that's the day. Forget now. I don't need to be prepared. I know everything. I got a, a ring on my finger, whatever. I'm totally fine. I don't, whatever. We're going to stand on this promise of a groom. It's also the mission of a bride, not just the confidence, but also the mission. Look at verse 3. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will take you to myself. Where I am, you may be also. It's one of the strongest verses. It's probably not, not something that we think about a whole lot. See the, the, there's the bride. She's preparing. She's learning. She's you know waiting. The groom goes back and he begins to, to build that their room onto the to the insula. And um, so he like build it. But his father is the one who signs off on it, saying that it's ready. I think that's so interesting. Even Jesus, I mean he says, you know, I'm coming back to get you, but the father's the only one who can say when. That's some of where that comes from. You could have this this guy. Um, a lot of times they got married like in their in their 20s, uh, the, the guys did. Um, so here he is, he builds this house or whatever, and he has to go get his dad and say, Dad, is it good enough for your new daughter? Dad, like, and he inspects it and probably makes fun of the son's work, you know, and kind of teases him or whatever. But the dad is the one who determines when the wedding time is going to happen. So the father says, okay, it's time. They get their insula together. They travel to the bride's insula. She's waiting in, inside the room or whatever. There's no idea when they're coming. The only way that she knows is that he blows a shofar, so a ram's horn, a trumpet kind of thing. So she hears this trumpet blow, and that means that it is time for her, uh, her wedding. Her wedding day has finally arrived. So they have the ceremony. They have like a kind of exchanging of vows there. And then, then the whole, uh, everybody then goes back to the new community. And there's, there's so much that's cool. They party for seven days, which is pretty awesome. 
And then, since the couple doesn't know each other, they take a year, and the couple doesn't work. They just get to know each other. It's your favorite color. Favorite movie, that kind of stuff. They've never, they haven't been on dates. They had one date. They drank, they sipped the wine glass. That was it. So they have a whole year to, uh, to get to know each other and all that kind of stuff. And all their needs um, are provided by the community. So all his siblings and aunts and uncles, they all go do the work. And uh, that's where their income comes from and they take care of them. It's really, really cool stuff. Here's what Jesus says. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Some killer promises right there. The promise of a groom who doesn't send his bride off to be prepared and then just kind of fizzle out and not follow through. Like, no, there's a, there's a purpose in us being separated because I'm, I'm going to prepare this place for you but I'm coming to get you, and I'm going to bring you with me because I want you to be where I am. The promise of his presence. That's, that's the hope of a bride. See, knowing the end of the story affects every step of the journey, doesn't it? Like once you've seen a movie all the way through, the next time you watch it, you watch it completely differently, don't you? It reframes everything. See, that's, that's what hope is, okay? We know the end, and that impacts the now. If knowing the end is not impacting now for you, then that's not really hope. I don't know, I don't know what it is, but it's not hope. That's the hope of a bride. Say, so you know what? It's like the, well, the song we sing. We're like, I, I can see a light that's coming for the heart that holds on. There will be an end to this trouble, but until that day comes, what is it? Still, I will praise you. Like, I can look at that hope, and I know that, that I have a groom who's building a house for me, and when the Father says it's time, he's coming to get me. But until that day comes, I'm not going to waste a moment. Hope in that future is going to affect my today. I'm going to stand on this promise, the promise of a groom to a bride. I'm not going to let my heart be troubled. I'm going to trust in him. I'm going to have the confidence of a bride. And while he is preparing a place for me, I have a mission to love him and to love people, to grow and to mature and to impact this world and to be a witness for him. I'm going to have the mission of a bride during her engagement time. And when things start to go crazy and life gets really weird, I'm going to let the hope of the fact that my groom is coming for me impact my today. That's the promise of a groom to his bride. And the best part of this at the end of that verse that where I am you may be also that's the heart of our groom connection presence 
I believe 100% that Jesus died for the glory of God and not for us. And I don't think that he's, our, you know, Jesus is not our boyfriend, okay? I don't think we need to romanticize it. I don't think we need to make it something that it's not. But at the same time, you've got to love that. You've got to love that. That's a promise to build your life on. And we're going to sing some songs. Guys, you guys come on up. We're going to sing some songs that, as we close it, kind of connect to this. And I think it's, I know, it's very much on purpose. Did you know, like, Jesus coming back for us and all that kind of stuff, something that, I don't know that we think about that as much as we should. But I promise you this, you find me an engaged girl, she knows exactly how many days till her wedding. Maybe subdivided into hours. You don't find someone that is engaged who's not thinking forward and letting that affect every day. So we're going to intentionally put our minds there tonight through some songs, through these ideas, and see what happens. Because if this really is a promise that Jesus made to us so that we can build our lives on, then it behooves us to do that, doesn't it? It does. It does. Let's, let's stand up. Let me pray for us. Um, I'm just going to pray that, that God really just lets us connect with um, whatever it is he wants us to connect with. Let's pray. God, we love you. And um, we thank you for this, uh, for these images that you, you chose absolutely on purpose to use. abstract, but you give us these concrete things we can kind of understand that help help get us closer. So God, as we sing these songs and as we uh, as we intentionally set our minds on the things that you have promised us, I just pray, God, that you will that you'll do something deep within us that these closing moments won't just be the, the closing songs God but that you'll just make things personal for us